Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for the first of a two-part bonus episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. Now, recently I discovered that this year was the 30-year anniversary of Quest for Glory. Uh, back in 1989, it was first released, and it was back then known as Heroes Quest. So a few days ago, I was able to speak to the two developers, Corey and Laurie Cole, for the second time this year. And they were fabulous as always. But we spoke for so long that I decided to split the interview in two. So there will be two episodes of our interview. Now, the first hour, they talk about Quest for Glory, the impact that the series has had on players and on themselves as developers, how they have changed as developers over the years. And they also talk about their game design methods a little bit. And they talk about their current game, which is currently on Kickstarter at the time recording called Summer Days at Hero U. Now, if you want to hear the full interview, the full uninterrupted two hours, you can hear it on the Patreon. But this is the first hour that you'll hear. Now, the second hour will be released um, in a few hours after this. So you will hear the two episodes, the two hours here. So this is the first hour of my conversation with Corey and Laurie Cole. So please enjoy. Thank you for joining me for this very special bonus episode. And I am here once again with Corey and Laurie Cole. Hello, guys. How are you? Hi there. Hey, it's Corey. And this is Laurie. So anybody who's been listening to this podcast uh, may have heard the first time we spoke. So part one, if you will. And now we're doing the sequel to our conversation a few months ago. So let's hope it's just as good as the first, <laughs> the first interview. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it can be bigger and better, and uh, we'll see. So, well, thank you so much for joining me again. We've got quite a lot to discuss. Now, as some people listening may be aware, this is the 13th anniversary of Quest for Glory, which you guys are the creators of. And you guys are also going to speak about your new game, which you're working on. But um, first of all, since it is a 30-year anniversary of Quest for Glory, and since that has had a huge impact on people, as we discussed in the previous interview, um, I wanted to just basically ask, well, first of all, how, how do you guys feel that 30-year anniversary of Quest for Glory and the huge impact uh, that it's had? Have you had many people uh, send you messages uh, this year congratulating you? Have you had interaction with fans uh, on this well, special fans anniversary? fans are the ones that told us about it. <laughs> Uh, we hadn't really thought about it, but uh, yeah, I started at uh, Sierra in 1988. Uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, for many of our uh, fans, uh, you know, they were children then or not even born. And uh, for us, you know, it was half a lifetime ago. Uh, so it's, uh, oh my, that's a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, October of 1989, we released a game uh, uh, with Sierra uh, with uh, Sierra Online called uh, Heroes Quest, So You Want to Be a Hero. Um, and uh, immediately started uh, running into trouble with Games Workshop and retitled it to Quest for Glory. So it became Quest for Glory, So You Want to Be a Hero. Uh, and in a way, everything we've done since then has, you know, kind of branched off of ideas that we came up with uh, 30 years ago. Right. So th 30 years ago, history was made that you made a game where you asked a simple question, uh, do you want to be a hero? Uh, I think the answer has been overwhelmingly yes <laughs> from people over the years. Um, yeah, people uh, actually write in real life how it affected them and their lives, and uh, it made an impact on their real lives. So it was a pretty important game series. Right, and, yeah. And for a while, Lori uh, ran an online school for heroes that uh, taught people how to be heroes, not, you know, not everyday heroes in the... Uh, you know, policeman or fireman sense, but uh, to take the ideas of like the paladin uh, and the wizard and so on and to apply them to real life. So we right, have yeah. uh, basically been 
creating the same kinds of games with the same types of themes over the years, and it's been 30 years of game development, effectively. <laughs> or, or in a way, 40, because uh, obviously Sierra didn't hire us uh, uh, fresh off the street without any background, so we'd actually been working on these concepts for 10 years before we got there. Yes. So, oh my God, we're, uh, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, well, so you you had been working on Quest for Glory or Heroes Quest that was back then for ten years before it was released. Is that correct? Well, we were doing uh, fantasy role playing games, so we had created our own game system for how to play it with rule system because we didn't like uh, the restrictions of Dungeon and Dragons. So therefore, we were creating scenarios and creating stories then for. Uh, live-action, you know, role-playing. Yeah, so we, uh, I think we met in 1979, and uh, I had, by then, already uh, written a, a module called The Tower of Indomitable Circumstance, which uh, I think in 1980, uh, 80 or 81, was published by the Judges Guild, and that was kind of our entree to Sierra, so, uh, um, but the uh, idea of the, you know, the skill-based uh, system, Lori had been playing uh, even prior to that, but, uh, uh, probably early 80s, uh, we started uh, refining that into a system, and that became the Quest for Glory system. Well, okay, and, and then it became Heroes Quest, which became Quest for Glory, and then history was made. There were four more sequels then, I believe, uh, five Quest for Glory games altogether. Yes, Quest for Glory 5, uh, Dragonfire was the last in the sequence. And then I mentioned that uh, uh, Lori started doing the online school for heroes, and that was to uh, uh, originally to promote a book that uh, she wrote with uh, author uh, Michelle Baker. Uh, that was going to be the How to Be a Hero uh, series of books. Uh, and the first one is How to Be a uh, Hero by the Book. And uh, that led into uh, fans from that group saying, well, you know, why don't you make a new game about this? And, uh, you know, one of them saying, you know, I'll help you out. I've done some games. Um, and we started working on uh, Hero U, uh, and we had a, a wizard story, and then we decided to make the uh, rogue story first, Hero U, Rogue to Redemption, uh, and that started on Kickstarter in 2012, and uh, uh, we finally released it in uh, mid-2018, uh, uh, and now we're doing a new one, uh, which is... Summer Days at Hero U. Well, and I believe there's a pun in there somewhere in the title. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, days is, yeah, Days is spelled uh, D-A-Z-E, like dazed and bewildered. Uh, <laughs> and that will be ex your experience on playing uh, Tilly Appleberry, uh, one of the two main characters you can play, uh, because uh, she is just totally mischievous, always getting into trouble and trying to confuse everyone around her. So where did the title come from, or was it just funny? It's just funny. I mean, <laughs> Roger Rabbit School of Game Design. You gotta do it because it's funny. Exactly. Well, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I love puns myself. And I I usually, I, I think I'm hilarious when I say them to, uh, to <laughs> Thomas and Laura, but... They, I actually, they actually booed me in the last episode for a pun that I made. So oh, I, no. knew, I know I'm having an effect. <laughs> yeah, but, the, uh, yeah, the key to a pun is it's got to be spontaneous. You can't, uh, you know, yeah. sit there and write down pun ideas and so on. You can to a degree, but it's they don't work. Uh, it's when just something hits you and strikes you as funny, and you just have to pun. Except exactly. And then you have to think and sweat and bleed until you come up with the perfect pun for that situation. And present it in a way that sounds like it was completely spontaneous for the characters. <laughs> exactly. And then put it into context as well, because it all depends on the context. Precisely, and... because there's nothing without the context in the setup. Exactly. Now, I could spend the whole episode just talking puns, strong puns at you guys, but you guys are here to talk about more than that. So um, now I just had one quick question, actually, before we get on to summer days. I meant to ask you guys this before, but I forgot the last time. And by the way, if, if people want to hear more about the Quest for Glory games and the Hero You Rogue to Redemption in previous Kickstarter, we spoke about th those topics in detail and about your careers as well in the previous interview um but just one question that i had it's that something that i still find funny is you know talk about 30 year anniversary of quest for glory and still 30 years later if you go on forums or on facebook or social media and people still ask 
Which do you prefer, LucasArts or Sierra? And there's still huge debate raging <laughs> about which company is better. Now, for me, I like both. I think both companies made some great games, and I like playing both uh, companies' games. So my question for you guys is, when you were working for Sierra, was there as much of a rivalry as there is between some, some of the fans, uh, between yourselves and developers at LucasArts, or did you just concentrate on making your own games? It was a friendly rivalry. It was more friends than anything else, actually. We had uh, uh, dueling vol uh, uh, softball Soft games. Yeah, we actually visited uh, the uh, Lucas Valley uh, uh, and George Lucas's uh, you know, complex where they made the Lucas games at one point uh, uh, with a busload of uh, softball players. Well... That would uh, maybe that's an exaggeration because yes. I was one of them and I'm no no softball player. Yeah. A bunch of game developers drove down pretending to be softball players. And Sierra won. Yes. Oh. And then so they you... came up here and we did the same thing here effectively. So uh, yes, we were very much aware of what Lucas Arts was doing with games and and very uh, impressed with their game style and their design styles. Um, bringing a new philosophy into uh, the whole adventure game, the idea that you don't have to kill off the character every 10 <laughs> steps. Yeah. So Insider Secret is uh, Ron Gilbert is actually quite a good softball player. <laughs> oh, okay. So you guys met Ron Gilbert then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we had met Ron before at the Game Developer uh, Conference. And, uh, uh, in fact, Lori and Ron uh, uh, did a uh, debate on uh, death in adventure games. And, uh, you know, is death a, uh, you know, appropriate uh, to kill off the character? Uh, and Ron argued for the idea that uh, you should never kill off the character because it breaks immersion when when you're there at the, uh, you know, restore, restart, quit uh, thing. You've, you're totally out of the game. And Lori? I argued that the concept of being able to die creates an energy that uh, playing the game that is not there with just a an adventure game style that has no depth if there's no consequences you know you're just doing an intellectual gameplay type of thing but the minute you got a chance that you might actually kill off your character suddenly your life is on the line because you identify with it and suddenly you're playing this game with a little more intensity yeah so it's a it's a dynamic uh, tension is the way i like to phrase it uh and, and you can have death in uh, a game but it has to be a reasonable death it can't be an arbitrary oh you made a mistake zoop you're out of the game. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you know if there was any audio or video or anything of that uh, conference? I don't know if, if it's no, uh, possible wasn't now. No, there was Probably not. That was uh, way back in our early Sierra days. It was probably in, uh, uh, it's probably in 89 or 90. It's probably early 90. Yeah, so they okay, did well, record that one. But that would have been a great one to record because we we went all, all along the board. And uh, there's good points to be said for both sides. Um, but I create role-playing adventure games, and we always called it that, so that we distinguish ourselves from what the Sierra-style game was. Yeah, so the, the optimal is knowing that your character could die at any moment, and somehow the player brilliantly and heroically narrowly avoids uh, most or all of those deaths. And that's the best way to play. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I remember when uh, my first game I played was Broken Sword, a uh, first adventure game, and now it kind of uh, kind of teases because it's at first you know it's slow paced in a good way, and I was relaxing. I thought, oh, this is nice, and then all of a sudden there are these you know the bad guys, the villains, you're trying to hide from them. But I thought, oh yeah, no, I could take my time, but then all of a sudden they were throwing my dead body into the river. So, <laughs> oh dear! And I thought, oh wow, you can die in this game, and it did kind of add to the tension as well. So, um, actually, what I would love to do is have both you guys and Ron Gilbert on the same episode to do a <laughs> retelling of that debate. I'll see if uh, Ron Gilbert is up for that. <laughs> it, it, it might all reverse because uh, Ron's a uh, uh, game that he did a couple years ago that was uh, uh, a pirate uh, game that involved all kinds of. Uh, um, Oh, okay. I don't. I haven't actually played the game. So, anyway, but uh, yeah, Ron did a game a, uh, a few years ago in which uh, uh, he said that it was very important to have death in the game. Yeah. Oh, really? 
So he's yeah, changed his position. Our current, our current game doesn't have death in the game. So <laughs> right, therefore, so. it just depends upon the game itself. So you might get expelled from Hero U in uh, Summer Days at Hero U, but, uh, uh, but your character will not die. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, we've uh, switched sides there. Yes. <laughs> so now Ron Gilbert is the one killing off characters, and now you guys are protecting the characters. <laughs> yeah. It all depends on the game. Yep. Sure, of course. Yeah, it depends on, as we mentioned before, the context as well, um, if it makes sense, I suppose. But now, because you mentioned that uh, with, uh, you know, death has to kind of be fair and make sense. And that's kind of the sense that I got with Quest for Glory, that if they were fair, that you can die, but they're role-playing games that you have to, and you fight. But there's never, there was never any time that you go, oh, you know, damn, that was unfair. I just walked to the left of the screen and I fell off a path. Or this other character came, I wasn't able to go up this way, and I just died for no reason. It wasn't yeah. like that. So, um, well, our last game, um, Rogue to Redemption, Hero You, Rogue to Redemption, had death in the game, but very seldom. I mean, if you went into a dangerous place like the wine cellar, which was in was filled with uh, drats, which were nasty sharks, dire rats, dire rats. And uh, if you were unprepared, you could get slaughtered by those things, but you're in a school, and so therefore you could have gotten rescued, and you'd wind up in the infirmary covered with bandages and things like that. But the further out you got from the castle, the more dangerous began it became, and eventually, you know, if you were out there and unprepared, you could die. But we let the player learn how to, you know, effectively avoid dying. Yeah, so I, I guess in a way we took a little lesson from, uh, uh, you know, some of the video uh, adventure games that uh, uh, you don't really die. You are defeated in combat. Yes. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, until the point where you actually do. Uh, so, you know, we had save games and all that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, Summer Days at Hero U is, uh, uh, so actually yeah, I wanted to go on a longer track to, leading up to that. Uh so what we did, going all the way back to uh, Heroes Quest, uh, is we were never satisfied to just make copies of the games that were out there. So uh, the Sierra Adventure games and the Lucas Adventure games both were uh, an innovation uh, from the uh, old Infocom and uh, Scott Adams text adventures uh, by putting in the graphics and the animation. And then we took it another stage by taking uh, tabletop role-playing and adding in uh, stats and skills and combat uh, and you know a little bit of equipment, not much. Uh, and then when we went to Hero You Rogue Redemption, we went another stage and went, you know, kind of full out tabletop role playing with uh, lots of different equipment you could find and a uh, you know a skill system that really affected uh, you know how you could do combat as well as uh, you know the other activities like uh, you know there's a card game called Poobah that's a kind of a form of uh, poker. And your gaming skill and your luck skill come into how well you do do with that. So each one were kind of going to another level. We also went full 3D with uh, Quest for Glory 5 and with uh, Hero You Road Redemption. Um, so now summer days, uh, we're taking another step. Yes, now we're going retro 2D, uh, very uh, much adventure style game in the Japanese school of definitions here so we're going something that looks more like a visual novel but that uh, has more story and gameplay than you would find in those typical type of games yeah so we, uh, we basically compressed it down to the story and the characters uh, and uh, uh, we don't we may have a little bit of combat there there is uh, storytelling combat in it and depending on uh, what our budget turns out to be uh, based on the Kickstarter we're running currently, uh, we'll find out whether we're able to uh, add in a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, actual player agency combat. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to make in the game, but we've taken out kind of the boring parts of adventure games. Uh, your character does not walk around through endless corridors and, uh, you know, spend all their time uh, moving around. Uh, you know, we actually... Uh, uh, didn't like that when we played uh, the early uh, King's Quest. So there seemed to be a lot of empty rooms you walked through. Uh, and then to a great degree, we ended up putting a little of that into Hero you Rogue Redemption. Uh, but this this game has no uh, <clears throat> no walking around. It's all based on the map. You click on the map or you uh, 
uh, make decisions in conversation with characters. And it really boils down the story and the, uh, you know, the character interaction. Um, and, you know, it's a it's really hard to describe. It sounds like we're just saying, OK, we're uh, you know, we're writing a novel and you get to uh, click through the novel. But it's not that way at all. There are real choices in this. Uh, yeah, because I never know how these games will end up in any time I write a game, because the player is the one I have. Uh, uh, it's a player based game design. It's what does the player want to do next and what will happen because of the player doing that. And so I always go into every situation saying, okay, now the player has choices. What choices can he have? What's he going to want to have so that he isn't frustrated? You know, there's nothing worse in a game than you know you want to do something and you can't figure out how the interface lets you do it. So the, <clears throat> this one, you'll always know what, uh, you know, what your choices are. Uh, you may not always pick the, quote, best, unquote, choice, but there's always a way forward. And there's no wrong answers. Well, there's there's ways of failing, but you have to go out of your way to do that. That's your choice. You know, we, so, we encourage players to experiment and try things out. Right. So it's kind of probably nearly obvious if it's kind of the quote-unquote wrong answer that you have to go out of your way as you said to to or maybe that's a choice maybe to it, it really to is fail. a choice because uh, you know wrong wrong is relative so wrong exactly. may, <laughs> and it, you know a series of choices may eventually get you expelled from the university uh, but that's not necessarily you know the player is deciding uh who the character really is so uh if you know if he decides that uh, Tilly is so mischievous that, you know, she's not going to try to cover her tracks and she just wants to, uh, you know, wants to make things crazy. Uh, a player can do that. And then that's who Tilly is. And then in another game, uh, you know, Efeo is a more serious student. Uh, and another game, you know, Efeo may decide that he's going to go head to head with the forces of darkness. And, uh, uh, you know, it's up to him to save the school. Uh, and then you have a very heroic wizard character and the player can do that. Uh, but you can go back then and replay. And now Tilly becomes, uh, you know, she's still mischievous, but she's, you know, really just out to have fun and, and make life fun for everybody. The real advantage and the strength of an adventure game is that it allows you to try out things that you'd never think of doing, you know, in real life, for instance. It allows you to make mistakes and not, you know, get punished for them specifically, real life world punishment. So it gives a person a chance to have fun without, you know, worrying about what's going to happen. And that's what we want in our games is to let the player feel like, oh, what happens now? And it becomes a great sense of wonder that you never know what you're, you know, what's going to happen, but you are safe enough that you don't have to worry about making a mistake. Yeah. So like in uh, World of Warcraft, sometimes you have uh, choices to make where the fear of missing out really comes in because you say, oh, my God, am I going to... Uh, uh, side with uh, Sylvanas, even though uh, she's been pretty wicked, or am I going to uh, join the resistance against her? And you know that six months later, that's going to play out into consequences. And it's like, oh my God, which one do I choose? Uh, whereas in an adventure game, you save the game, uh, you try something out, play through, and then you go back and you play the game again and do it a different way. Uh, so you, you know, there are consequences, but all the consequences are reversible. One thing you mentioned is about. Uh, you know, save the game, and I f see that more games now that they're saving automatically. Because a game I played recently was Whispers of a Machine, which had kind of like that. You could choose different personality, three different personalities of the character based on types of choices you make. But you know, a lot of times if you make a choice and you go, "Oh, I didn't want to make that choice," so I'll just go back to a saved game. But in this game, there's only one saved game, and that was when you when you left the game, that yep. it would uh, automatically save the game. So you're basically stuck with that choice. And it's kind of retro, boy. Yeah. You always do it that way. And now I don't know if you could. Yeah, I think you could die in the game, but then they would bring you back to that that sequence again. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought it was interesting because. You know, it's kind of like real life, you know, whatever decisions we make, we're kind of, okay, no, we're kind of stuck with this now. I said this to this person or I made this choice. Now I've got to uh, to just forge on ahead with it. And if I made a mistake, try and, 
you know, make well, up for it. Simply <laughs> did that same thing in Road to Redemption that in that you could save any time you wanted, but anytime you started a conversation and you were in the middle of a conversation, you had to make choices there that would affect what the next thing would happen. And, you know, you can't just go down the list. Oh, what happens here? I'm going to ask, ask that. No, you had to actually play out the consequences of what you decided. So uh, you could always replay it again to find the other ones, but everything had long-term uh, consequences because, it was a game that was uh, spiraling out on whatever the player chose to do. And, and we're doing the same thing here. Is, uh, you know, we're trying to make our conversations feel natural and not be a gamey thing where uh, you know, you're looking for every clever line. Like in Road to Redemption, we had plenty of clever lines you could get by uh, you know, looking at a, a potted plant in the corner or whatever. Uh, but once you got into conversation, that was you know, conversation is real. Uh, it's not just looking at things, and it's not just there for the sake of humor. Uh, it's it's there to you know make the story progress. And right. That's yeah. Very much what we're doing with Summer Days at Hero U. It's all about um, interacting with characters and creating the story around you. Um, so I wanted to uh, diverge just a little bit to uh, talk yeah, about uh, uh, how we're funding these games because mm -hmm. uh, you know we were cosseted at uh, Sierra where. Uh, you know, we had uh, we knew there were budgets, but uh, uh, if we uh, ran overtime on something, the budgets just magically stretched, uh, and we were making games, not worrying about it. Uh, as an indie developer that we've been doing uh, with the Hero U series, uh, you know, we had to come up with uh, uh, funds for the games, and we had a game that was going to take a year or two that ended up taking us uh, five years to make. Uh, this game uh, isn't quite so ambitious, so we'll have this out uh, end of next year. Uh, but uh, both times we uh, went to Kickstarter to do crowdfunding. Uh, and we are currently running a Kickstarter campaign for Summer Days at Hero U. Again, that's uh, uh, Days D-A-Z-E. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are basically reaching out to the fans. And this is uh, partly to get money, but mostly it's a way of uh, getting the press to take a little bit of notice and for... Uh, people to talk to their friends about this Kickstarter campaign and get them involved in it. Uh, because uh, what we're doing here is, uh, you know, rebuilding our audience of people that like, uh, you know, strong storytelling adventure games. Uh, and by supporting the Kickstarter, uh, you get uh, regular updates uh, as we're doing the game and find out what's going on with it and stuff like that. And you, you become part of our community. Uh, so it really is about getting people involved and we're hoping uh, we'll get lots of people there. Uh, one thing that uh, we've had people worry that, well, let's see, it hasn't reached its goal yet. Our goal on this one is uh, uh, $99,999. I didn't want to come up with a dollar short <laughs> if we went for $10,000. Uh, but uh, people worry that, uh, oh, well, it's only at $65,000 now. Uh, what if it doesn't make its goal? Well, the answer is on Kickstarter, if a project doesn't make its goal, uh, the project is canceled. Nobody pays anything. You are not billed for your $25 or whatever you would have put in. Uh, if it succeeds, once we get over $100,000, uh, then at the end of the project, everyone gets billed, and uh, uh, over time, you get rewards. And uh, we've got some really cool ones besides the game itself. Uh, we'll have the uh, soundtrack by uh, uh, Brandon Bloom, who also did Mage's Initiation, worked on some of the uh, Sierra game remakes at uh, uh, Tierra and AGDI. Um, we have a you know an art book. Uh, we're going to have a coloring book. Our artist is... Uh, taking uh, characters and scenes from the game and doing, uh, uh, you know, drawing versions of them that you can uh, color over them, just yeah. for fun. We've got a lot of different things that we're going to have for the Kickstarter thing. Um, mostly, though, as he said, we're trying to build a community of people that like to play these styles of games. So we've got a Discord channel that we're active upon, and we've got a uh, – uh, we do live streams ourselves. Uh, trying to promote this and trying to get people to come together. We've done a lot of, uh, well, our last uh, live stream was all about fun and games, playing games with the uh, the, the audience. And and uh, it's all about making people feel like they're a part of something again. Uh, we're also doing uh, regular uh, Twitch live streams. Uh, uh, Transolar Games is our company name. Uh, that's Transolar with just one S in it. Uh, Transolar Games... Uh, 
So it's uh, twitch.tv slash transsolargames. And every uh, uh, Saturday night, uh, uh, it's uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, uh, our time in California, which uh, makes it start at midnight in Ireland. So a little bit late for Europe. <laughs> oh, but it's Saturday. Uh, so, you know, a lot of us don't work the next yeah, day. Yeah, so we yeah. can find yeah, late tune late in. Saturday night. Uh, drop in for 15 minutes or an hour uh, uh, at midnight and uh, uh, we'll be playing games with you um, but uh, our special this coming up is Halloween the 31st mm-hmm. and we're starting that one at 1pm 1 uh, California time which is 9pm in Ireland so that's uh, actually a that's pretty yeah, good starting terrible. time for Europe <laughs> we're going to go in all through the night basically and it is we are going to be playing Shadows of Darkness, Quest for Glory 4, Shadows Ooh. of Darkness, which yeah. is a spooky, scary game, and we're doing it on Halloween, and we're going to have a that, really, that is... you know, marathon game with <laughs> lots of things like prizes and that given out, and uh, a lot of participation and all sorts of fun stuff. And of course, because of our uh, irreverent sense of humor, uh, Quest for Glory 4 is actually spooky, scary, and at times silly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. That's the the horror, but as you said, kind of humorous horror. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we were we were influenced by uh, films like Young Frankenstein and uh, like, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. So, yeah. You know the classics. The cl- the classic, not so horrible horror movies. <laughs> well, great great thing to be inspired by. I mean, one of the best of the Young Frankenstein. Um, actually, now you mentioned that you do live streams of, of the games that you made. And one thing that I'm curious about is, as the creators of Quest for Glory and you know, of other games, when you go back to play the games, do you remember the puzzles? Do you remember how to proceed in the game? Or are there times when you have to think about what to do? Because I'm, I'm just curious from a developer's point of view. <laughs> Let's just say we're glad we have a studio audience that's telling us what we're supposed to do. We, we mostly remember them, and you know, certainly remember the basic plot line. You know, we we know what you know what it's all leading up to. Uh, but specific puzzles can be tough. Um, there was uh, one particular one I remember uh, that uh, uh, I vaguely remember the on the original Heroes Quest that there was a. Uh, uh, secret entrance to the uh, brigands' uh, hideout that I needed to find, and uh, boy, I couldn't find it anywhere. And <laughs> finally, said, "Wait a second. There's kind of a a slightly off color to the that one side. I wonder if that's the uh, rock I need to find." And sure enough, it was. Meanwhile, all of the uh, people are typing madly away in the sidebar. It's the rock. Go get the rock. Seen it, so it's like yeah, okay. I was oblivious to that. Yes. I didn't see any of that. Uh, so eventually, I found the rock, uh, and and meanwhile, I was uh, uh, listening in on a conversation between two brigands in which uh, uh, they uh, revealed the secret password to get through there. Uh, so uh, I very proudly went up and uh, used the key that I got from the uh, by defeating one of the brigands and opened up that rock and went inside prepared to uh, having completely forgotten about the password and instantly got killed by a troll. Uh, <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, they... I think they said something about using the password before you go in. Uh, so, yeah, we're terrible players, really. It's oh, a good thing we have an audience. I don't know that we're terrible. I think that's the way these games were designed yeah. to be. A lot of trial and error. But trial sure. and error that kills off your character, Ron Gilbert would not approve. <laughs> or maybe he would now. <laughs> well, maybe so. At any maybe. rate, yes, we have, we're not very good at combat. <laughs> we, tend, we tend to wind up, oh, did we save that game? Oh, yeah, it was uh, hilarious. The first time we played through the beginning of uh, uh, Heroes Quest, uh, we either died in every combat or ran away. <laughs> and, of course, the game is the game is a practice makes perfect design. So, uh, so if you run away from every combat, you never get any better at it. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's fun because we really, you know, aren't the world's greatest players. So, therefore, the, play, the people out there in the audience who are, you know, can keep giving us advice. On what and they can do. feel superior because yeah. they got through all these things. <laughs> yeah, they were better people than I. We were at these games. I, I, we did eventually finish uh, uh, the replay of uh, Quest for Glory 1 uh, that uh, took us two sessions and probably like 12 hours to play. Uh, but we did eventually make it through. Uh, and, and, of course, over time, our games keep getting bigger. 
the amount of dialogue, the first uh, Heroes Quest had uh, 50,000 words. By the time we were up to Quest for Glory 4, it was 180,000. Uh, by the time we were at uh, Hero You Rogue Redemption, it was 450,000 words. Um, and part of that is scope of the game. The size of the game keeps getting bigger. And part of it is just that, you know, as we've learned more about our trade, uh, that uh, we, you know, we want know that players want to try a lot of different things. Uh, and in 1989, we couldn't allow for much of that. There wasn't enough memory space. But uh, today it's effect effectively infinite. We can do all the writing we want uh, and more than we want. Uh, and so we try to cover everything you might try. Yeah, especially with when it comes to uh, uh, character interactions and that, because uh, to me, story all focuses on who you uh, interact with and, and who you want to be friends with or what relationship you want to establish with these people, especially in Rogue to Redemption. Uh, you've got whole storylines that opened up because you interacted with certain characters that you would never actually find out unless you uh, talked to them and made friends with them so that it was really a very personal story for um, a lot of the different characters. And, of course, if you're comparing uh, adventure game to films, in a film, you have all it's all canned dialogue, obviously. It's, you know, actors uh, saying the lines and the story is going to go the way the story goes. Uh, so the amazing thing about an interactive adventure game is you can have a story that is as rich as a story in a film, uh, but everywhere along the line, the player gets to make decisions about, well, what would I say here? Uh, and you can actually change the direction of the story to some degree. Sure, and each player, or you know, most players would have a different experience then. Uh, yes. So when you, when you talk to, to each other, then you go, oh, I, I spoke to this character and I went down this path. And then the other person would say, oh, well, I didn't speak to this character. I went, I, I went down this other path and I was, I was very different. So to play the same game, but go down different paths, which uh, you don't get with movies. So Yeah, and this it, Rogue to Redemption was huge. It was absolutely, uh, you know, took forever. We took a long time uh, doing QA on it to get all the uh, the problems of, of making sure that all the connections were there because in our, when we were working for Sierra, we had quite a few games that went out far, far too buggy because nobody mm. could play through these things. They were huge even then at Sierra. Yeah. Sierra had a great QA department, but they only got, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, if the uh, game was supposed to, uh, uh, ship in time for Christmas, which really meant it had to be done in August uh, <laughs> a, uh, uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, packaging and shipping and uh, uh, so, you know, testing uh, that the programmers thought they could go until November uh, working on it. But no, it, it really had to be done in August uh, to have enough time for testing. Uh, so we would have, you know, six or eight, uh, uh, you know, testers furiously working full time and testing these games. But our games were always so huge that they could only get to a portion of it in that time. So yes, we um, wanted to make sure, and now that we're in charge of our own games, that we make sure that it's totally tested, that everybody, you know, well, we get a lot of people uh, actually playing through and that, and uh, we play through it ourselves and try to make sure that uh, it all works out. Yeah, because back, uh, back then, I imagine if the games had bugs, in it that you couldn't just release an update whereas now at least if if a game of people discover a bug you can release an update but obviously it's better now as you say to do Q, qa first to try and test everything so because now with social media people might see one bug and go, oh this game is a bug here and, and well, that's, <laughs> even with all that testing more than six months of testing uh we still were doing updates after the fact yeah in fact we're uh, we're getting ready to release uh, update 1.6 it's in beta testing now on uh, steam uh, and uh yeah so we had uh, five major patches uh, to the game um uh 1.5 plays a lot better than the original game and that's that's just you know things like uh people with 10 to 6 ratio monitors couldn't play the game it turned out so we had oh, to uh, fix that <laughs> um or whatever the whatever the ratio was um uh, and uh uh, you know, we didn't notice it because uh, so 16, yeah, 16 to 10 uh, ratio. Uh, so 16 to 9 works fine. 
four to three works fine, 16 to 10 didn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we had a, a fixed uh, animation speed for walking and so on and running. Uh, and uh, we did that in order to make the animation look really nice, and uh, it's really a smooth animation. Uh, but people are very impatient these days, and they don't want to spend uh, two minutes walking uh, down a hallway if they could do it in uh, 30 seconds. So we ended up putting in an animation speed slider so you can make it look silly and cartoony, but be more playable. So, yeah, wow. so we're constantly refining our games and uh, getting player feedback on uh, what what works for them and what doesn't. So we're in a different world, a different kind of game development cycle right now where uh, the players really do have impact on what the game is. Yeah, we also, with the crowdfunding, uh, the, uh, uh, the people that fund our games have a lot of say. So we started out, when we first uh, proposed Hero You Rogue to Redemption, uh, we were going to model it on our uh, lead developer's uh, Game of Guffin's Curse, uh, which was basically a top-down uh, chessboard-style game uh, and make it kind of a roguelike. Uh, we, we described it as a roguelike with story. Uh, and very rapidly, the, uh, our core audience of fans said, no, that's not what we want. We want another game like Quest for Glory. Uh, and we said, okay, <laughs> we don't have a budget for that, but we'll try. <laughs> uh, and, you know, over period of time and then we tried to do a you know a 2d game and discovered that uh uh in the uh, 21st century it's really hard to find uh, strong uh 2d animators uh and, and the game gradually morphed into what it is today which was a uh, you know full 3d uh uh game with uh, just a huge scope that's probably uh, 10 times the size of any of the games we did at sierra and uh, you know four you know four times the dialogue of uh, the biggest game we did there uh and, uh, you know, just gigantic in scope. Uh, but it's a pretty fun game that uh, people really, uh, really like. We've got very positive ratings of both Steam and GOG. People love the game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're glad to have gotten one right. So what we're doing with this Kickstarter uh, is we're going to be asking people some questions about, uh, you know, features they want to see in the game. Uh, you know, what's most important to them about it? Uh, and the basic game is set. Lori's already been working on it for over a year. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of writing to be done still <clears throat> and quite a bit of room for, uh, you know, doing different things with it. So we're getting people, uh, you know, trying to get people really involved with what the games become. Yeah, we want okay, our players so, yeah. to enjoy the game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, at the end of the day, that's the main thing that you guys want to to entertain the, the fans and to make the game players enjoy the games. <laughs> that's, uh... Absolutely. Um, so yeah, what what are the main differences, at least with the kicks, this Kickstarter, that I can see is that with Hero You Rogue to Redemption, uh, it seems like you guys did the Kickstarter early on in the process, but with Summer Days, it seems like you already have you know quite a bit of the game already in the can. Well, and, or maybe I'm wrong. No, you're <laughs> right. Uh, we didn't we didn't have a game when we started out the first so, Kickstarter for Rogue to Redemption. So we very didn't early. Have anything to show, but that was like the beginning of Kickstarter and games. Nobody knew what they were doing, and lots of people wanted to to find out, you know, there were a huge audience at Kickstarter trying, hungry for new games. Yeah, we basically had a game concept. We didn't even have a title. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I guess I guess about <laughs> the time we started on yes. Kickstarter, we, we asked yeah. our fans on uh, uh, our bulletin board uh, uh, what the title should be, and someone came up with the pun Rogue to Redemption, and we said, uh, which is based on Road to Redemption. Uh, we said, okay, yeah, that works pretty well. Uh, and, you know, so that's about what we had uh, for, uh, but Kickstarter has changed over the years. So, right. uh, you know, we based that on run, uh, or uh, Tim Schaefer did uh, yeah. the Double Fine he, Adventure. He didn't even have a title for the game at that point. Yeah, he, he had nothing. And he wanted, I think, 400,000 or something. So most of that, or a lot of that was, not most of it, but some of that was going to go to the documentary yeah, team was, who were uh, going to check and, and he, I remember him saying, oh, this might succeed, it might fail, but you guys will be along the journey with me. And then it made to make 2.5 million. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. but and now, that's, now, that's where we came in. Yes. That, right. Just after that happened, and we were kind of expecting, you know, that we would get more money. Yeah, so we, uh, we, we set a $400,000 uh, minimum for our first Kickstarter and naively thought, well, if Tim can do it, you know, uh, you know people will come uh, showing up in droves. 
Uh, and we actually had 800000 as the budget for the game. That's what we thought we could make it for. Uh, and we discovered that we got 400000 Uh So that was fine, but it meant that uh, basically we had to make a lot of compromises. We had uh, uh, some people leave the team because they were expecting to be paid more than we were able to pay them. Uh, and it was a, it was a challenging process. Uh, but uh, Kickstarter has changed over the years. Uh, players are more sophisticated. They want to know what a game is before they support mm -hmm. it. And so for Summer Days at Hero U, uh, you know, we basically started this game immediately after uh, we released uh, uh, Rogue Redemption in July of 2018. Uh, uh, by August, Lori was working on uh, uh, Summer Days. And uh, so she's put in, as I said, more than a year of uh, uh, writing and artwork. Uh, we've Most of the principal art done. Uh, the game is really far along uh, because we wanted to make sure that we knew what the game was before we... Uh, uh, started talking and we about had it. something to show, right? To Kickstarter. Uh, so yeah, there's a uh, uh, on itch.io. If you go to itch.io and search for uh, uh, summer days, and it's again it's D A Z E, uh, you can find a, uh, a playable prototype of the game that uh, basically is uh, the first day of one of the main characters' games. Uh, and you can play all the way through it and get a really good feel for what the art looks like. Uh, uh, kind of what the music is like and uh, what the what the flavor of the game is. Uh, it doesn't have all of the adventure game interaction we'll be adding later, but, uh, you know, it, it basically introduces the character really well. So you can already get a feel. You know what you're getting, because when we started out with Kickstarter, we didn't know where we were going with it at that point in time, and it evolved as a process. And uh, that's fine if you, you know... If you're a player and you don't, you, you have a lot of faith in the people you're, you're <laughs> supporting. And we did. We had so many fans that were basically just because they loved our games, they supported us. But nowadays, we want to make sure the player knows exactly what they're getting. And uh, they we're managing their expectations so that they don't, you know, get disappointed. This isn't what I wanted. We want them to know exactly what they want. Well, you know, which is a tricky uh, marketing job because in a way, uh, you know, people want to hype up their game and say, oh, yes, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a floor polish uh, and a, a shoe wax and a dessert topping. And it does everything and it has everything in it. And, you know, we, we actually did that with uh, uh, Quest for Glory as we gave people a, a full adventure game experience and pretty much of a full role-playing game uh, experience. At that, least with Rogue to Redemption, we certainly... Yeah, Rogue to Redemption, really, uh, we pulled, we managed to pull all that off. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's incredibly ambitious. Uh, when we were talking to game companies uh, post-year in the uh, uh, early 2000s, uh, you know, in the late 90s, uh, they were basically saying, well, you know, that's a great game concept you have, but you'll never pull this off. It's too big. <laughs> Uh, never work. Uh, so we actually talked about a game with, uh, I think it was Sony at one point, and uh, they said, you've got basically three games there. And we were kind of like, well, yeah, all of our games have been. <laughs> we, we know how to do this, but... <laughs> yeah. So with uh, uh, Summer Days is basically we're trying to take, you know, the essence of what made our games great. And, you know, we have, uh, we did feedback forms of people and what do they love. And number one in that is the characters and the story. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what people remember from our games. Uh, combat turns out to be like the absolute bottom. You know, it's like, really, uh, yeah, some people said, OK, well, I wish the combat was harder. And some said I wish it was easier. But mostly they don't talk about the combat. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, the combat, you know, provides conflict and, uh, you know, excitement to the game. And it had a purpose, uh, but it's not the memorable part. Uh, so, the, you know, the characters in the story are what people remember. Uh, so. Okay. So we're really pushing that part more. You know, it's not to say we're cutting that other part out, but at the, we're putting the emphasis on where the players want. Uh, number two, uh, beyond the uh, characters in the story, was uh, puzzles. Uh, and the players remember fondly the adventure game puzzles, and uh, and they get to laugh about ones that were just silly, ridiculous puzzles, which uh, every game had, even ours. Uh, uh, this one is going to be lighter on puzzles. Uh you know, I thought I was I was talking about Hero Road Redemption, saying uh, it's a very puzzle-like game, and it turns out that we actually have a lot of puzzles in uh, Road Redemption. Uh, but with our games, it's really hard to say what's a puzzle because puzzles really in our games are part of the story, uh, mm. and they're 
I, I like to think of them as problems rather than puzzles. You have a problem to solve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The puzzles in, in adventure games tend to be roadblocks and they're designed, oh, you have to solve this before you can go to the next area. And that to me is just frustrating because puzzles nice. can be really frustrating. Yeah. We want to make our, uh, uh, our puzzles uh, opportunities rather than roadblocks. I'm, I'm not a developer, but I imagine that the puzzles are, are, would you say that they're probably the most difficult thing to come up with in adventure games to try and make them logical and non-frustrating and have them kind of enjoyable as well with the story? Is, would you say that they're one of the most challenging things about making adventure games? Well, there's nothing easy about making an adventure game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a sense, uh, everything we do is the hardest part. Uh, uh, but... but yeah, with uh, we try to not really think about. I mean, every once in a while, if you want to make a mini game like we made a, a poker like mini game in uh, Rogue Redemption, uh, then that's something you go off to the side and say, okay, we're going to have a mini game here. What are we going to do with it? And then it's you know it's a, it's it's really you're designing a different type of game. So in a sense, you're making an, another game. Uh, but most of our puzzles, we don't think of that way. Well, I mean, the the true puzzles that we had in Rogue to Redemption was, well, for one thing, we have, uh, it's a rogue, so we had lock picking. And so for two years running, Corey and I had open arguments about how we were going to do lock picking in the game. Yeah, so I wanted to have a puzzle for lock picking that you would have, uh, you know, a, a mini game that would let you do the lock picking. And Lori pointed out, the problem is that this is a, a practice makes perfect game. You're going to be doing lock picking all the time, uh, and you know, and, and the lock lock on a door is a roadblock uh, that you need to get through. And if we make you have to go through a mini game, uh, you know, 300 times to do this, uh, you're going to be uh, frustrated spending all your time doing that. So after you know, uh, Lori says two. I'd I'd say you know, six months of really intensive work on variants on, uh, you know, a gear-based uh, uh, lockpick mechanism game and so on, uh, we finally ended up going back to something similar to what we did in Quest for Glory and saying, how good is your tool use skill? And how good is the set of lockpicks you're using? If you have good lockpicks and good tool use skill, you get through the lock. Right, so that we avoided the puzzle because we don't want, puzzles can't be too repetitious or they're, or they're mm. not fun. Yeah, so there's a, right. the gameplay loop, or the you know the uh, from the player's viewpoint, uh, you know the amount of interactivity they have. They want to have choices, they want to have agency, uh, they want to gain mastery over things, uh, but they also want to get the story. So you don't want to get the uh, have something that you know is feeling like the player agency of, of doing the slot pick get in the way of what's the next part of the story. Then we had the uh, disarm trap puzzle that took us the rest of two years trying to figure (laughs) out just how we wanted to make it work. And so, yes, puzzles, designing a uh, well-integrated, entertaining puzzle is really hard work. There are probably probably game designers who are really, really good at this, but uh, we're better at telling stories. Well, yeah, because it's... um... It's, it's. I can imagine it's very difficult. You know, when people talk about puzzles, usually they talk about the puzzles that, oh, that were the hardest or whatever, but it's very rare that people actually talk about the most entertaining puzzles. I imagine that must be really, really hard. But and I wanted to ask you as well about the difficulty level because I'm sure you've had people, you mentioned with the combat that some people wanted it to be harder, some people wanted it to be easier. And... I wanted to, as game designers, how do you go about trying to cater to different difficulty levels? You know, people who want to focus more on the stories and other gamers who want some more puzzles. Um, do you have any ideas? Because it's, again, that must be something as well that I imagine would, must be difficult for designers. Well, we mentioned uh, we went through five pa- major patches on sure. Rogue Redemption. And one of those patches, we introduced a uh, combat difficulty slider. Uh, right, yeah. And you can actually make the combat easier or harder, and mostly that's a matter of adjusting the uh, health of the monsters and uh, uh, how much damage they do. Uh, uh, so, obviously, we have, we, you know, we had a player, we did an interview for a, a magazine in Germany, uh, Adventure Treff, uh, that uh, they said, our players do not want combat at all. And so we actually went out of our way to make sure that there is a path through 
Road to Redemption, uh, that you can play the entire game without ever having a combat. Uh, it is possible. It's insanely difficult. Uh, I think we've had, uh, uh, that is, uh, I think we had 3% of our players have managed it. Because uh, that's one of the achievements. Uh, so it makes the game really, really hard. And if you want, you know, a challenging adventure game, uh, and that's you don't pure like, adventure yeah, game, this yeah. pure adventure game, you can do it. Uh, and the idea there is to avoid the combat. Your character's a rogue. He's not a uh, mighty warrior. Uh, and you're going to get your clock cleaned in combats unless you uh, either work on your fitness skill and, uh, you know, make yourself into more of a warrior uh, or avoid them. Yes. Yeah, so people ask why our games take so long to do. And this one did take a long time to do. <laughs> but it's because we really wanted to make sure that the player plays the game they wanted to play. And so, therefore, we... Um, in the first place, our combat was supposed to be designed to be a thinking person's combat rather than a twitchy, you know, uh, fast reflex kind of combat. So we did things with uh, it's uh, combat is very much directed to what you have in inventory and what you use to set up the combat. You know, you put down a trap, you trap one of the monsters, you do you outthink the opponent rather than out-twitch uh, him. And we intentionally made the Road to Redemption combat turn-based uh, so that you can, uh, you know, it's a little unrealistic, but you can sit there and decide, let's say, am I going to strike with my dagger or am I going to set a trap or am I going to drink a healing potion? Um, so and it's uh, a puzzle. Every combat was really a puzzle uh, trying to outwit the monster that you were fighting. And I was going to say that about puzzles in general. We talked about a specific type of puzzle, which is the minigame. Uh, but there are a lot of, uh, uh, you know, adventure games have a lot of less obvious puzzles. Uh, for instance, uh, you go into a room in uh, Road to Redemption and you find, uh, uh, you know, a ghost in there. And there is, a, you know, a name scrawled uh, on the wall in blood. Uh, and you're trying to find out what happened to that ghost. And uh, in, a, in a sense, why is the ghost still there? And we have this, uh, you know, this theory that we picked up from other fiction that the, uh, you know, ghosts are there because they have unfinished business in the world. So your idea is to try to figure out what this ghost's unfinished business was and help him out in some way. And that's uh, in um, uh, MMO game uh, terms is a side quest. Uh, you'd, you know, well, uh, we had so many side quests in this yeah. game. So you do not have to help that ghost. Uh, but if you do, you get a reward for it. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get points and so on. Uh, and uh, you get the feeling of satisfaction. You get the completion of that story. And if you don't do it, fine. Get through the game and then go back and later on replay the game. And this time maybe you'll try some things you didn't do the previous times. So that's sure. where, you know, the... Uh, you know, the, uh, we defer, dis, whatever the word is, <laughs> uh, talk sometimes <laughs> about what they call uh, FedEx quests, which are basically deliver a letter from one person to another. Uh, and, you know, that can, that can be okay if you dress it up enough that it's, uh, you know, fits in with the uh, storyline, but it gets a little old if that's all you're doing. So we, you know, we want to have a few of those, we want to have a few of the, uh, you know, put the pieces together a few of them with the mini game puzzles. Uh, there's one where you have to uh, get through a secret door that you have to uh, uh, spell out uh, a, a phrase by pushing uh, tiles and you have to find the clues for that and so on. So there's a lot of that stuff throughout the game, uh, but we try to make it all feel like uh, it really belongs there, that there's a reason that every one of those things is in there. It's all part of the storyline. It's not something there to be a block. Our games right. are designed to be experiences. They're not designed to be something, okay, fine, I've just gotten through this game. Okay, what's the next game? Um, they're designed so that you could come back and replay them and have a new experience while you play them. Uh, you can find new things. You can un, uh, you know, unwrap some levels that you didn't actually see before when you first played it. And uh, most of our games, the, the Quest for Glory games, um, were the type that players did play them again and again. And some players say every year they bring out the game to play and have that experience again because it made them feel good, that made them feel important. And that's a pretty good thing to get out of a game.
Yeah, well, not every hero wears capes, so and I think that so we can see that in in your games, at, at least in Quest for Glory. So that was the first half of my interview with Corey and Lori Cole, the developers of Quest for Glory, Hero U, and the upcoming Summer Days at Hero U, which is currently on Kickstarter. I hope you enjoy that. So in a few hours, I will upload the second part of my interview with the Cole. So until then, bye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you